Good morning. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, we uh, continue our new sermon series on the ministry of healing, and today's uh, sermon title is "On Earth as in Heaven: The Healing, the Ministry of Healing, Part 2. Um, I've been reading a, a very a great amount of literature on healing, but I want to read you um, something from this book. It's called Eyewitness to Miracles by Randy Clark, who has a global uh, ministry, and it has begun with some uh, scientists, something called the Global Medical Research Institute, which deals with uh, healing prayer's effect on the body. But I want to read you one story um, from a, a global evangelist named Leif Hetland. He says this, In 2009, I was ministering in a church on a Sunday night in the Midwest. The service was over and we were praying for many sick people. Close to 10 p.m., two people in wheelchairs came rolling down to the front. One of them had become paralyzed from the chest down as a result of a car accident seven years earlier. I was tired and also the person in the chair was tired. I was thinking about how I could get to the hotel room fast as possible when the pastor turned to me and said, there are a few more people to pray for before you leave. I walked up to the young lady in the wheelchair, let's call her Janet, and introduce myself. And Randy Clark and myself, to name a few. The fact that she was still in a wheelchair didn't help my faith level. I asked Janet, what would you like the father to do for you? She replied, I want him to heal my orphan spirit. My heart as a father of three daughters was suddenly bleeding. I realize that when someone has been prayed for hundreds of times with no breakthrough, she feels more like an orphan than a beloved daughter. I asked Janet if it would be okay if I released a baptism of love so that she would know how much Papa God loves her and that it is his pleasure to heal her. This would be a practice of laying hands on someone and asking the Lord to release a great experience of being overwhelmed by his love. Janet nodded in agreement. After releasing the prayer, I asked the Holy Spirit for a sign that Janet was going to be healed. The honest truth was that I looked at her body and asked what was going to be easiest. I asked her, would you be able to move your finger? She said, no. I told her that we were going to ask the father, as a beloved daughter of the one who wants to heal her, for a sign that he was going to heal her tonight. I asked her if we could believe together that she would be able to move one inch with her left hand. She agreed. I prayed and nothing happened. I prayed a second time, a third time, and by the fourth time, she still hadn't felt anything. But then I could see her fingers start to move, and a spark came into her eyes. I said, do you believe that God is tired? To which she replied, no. And so we continued to pray. First, we prayed for her left hand to open, then the other hand. Then we prayed for her to be able to lift them above her head. Each time, we saw that specific breakthrough. We continued this process, and step by step, we continued to pray and asked for more. I asked the senior pastor to come and join us, and by this time, there were about 25 to 30 people watching. It took about one hour and 45 minutes before Janet stood up from the chair and took the first step. It took less than 20 minutes from the first step before she was running around the sanctuary with the children chasing her. Her father and sister came. Her father was an evangelical who didn't believe that God still performed miracles. He was astonished by the goodness and kindness of God. By the following service, word had spread about what God had been doing, and it was filled up as Janet walked all the way to the front of the stage and shared her testimony. The place exploded in radical worship. That was my first time seeing a major creative miracle in America and the beginning of me believing that the Jesus I have seen in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia is the same Jesus in America. Pretty spectacular. 
Yeah, wow is right. And this first half of this book is all um, eyewitness testimony to different things like that. Pretty incredible. Friends, Jesus still heals today. He still heals today. Um, the passage that we're going to look at from our text, I said I'm going to do a, a sermon series on healing, but I'm also going to try to stay true to what the passages are giving us. So we have a perf- perfect uh, thing to look at today, and that's Revelation chapter 21. So if you have a Bible, open up to the very end of the Bible. It's one of the last passages in there. Uh, one of my favorite passages, actually. And um, Or if you don't have a Bible, just follow along in your bulletin for the Revelation reading. So here's what's going on in um, this vision. John, the apostle, the beloved disciple of Jesus, is exiled on the island of Patmos um, for, for, for being a Christian, basically. And God gives him a series of visions, and some of them are of the, of the life to come, basically. Now here's what he sees. You notice, notice that he does not see, um, people with wings playing harps on clouds. Okay? That, that doesn't come from the Bible. Um, he says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So, see, in the Bible, heaven, uh, we don't die and go off to heaven in the end. Heaven comes to earth and restores everything. Okay? It's like a new city that uh, brings everything back. It brings the creation back to its original intended perfection by God. So heaven comes down to earth. And then he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying... See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. Again, then, again, you have God coming to, to us. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. Now, here's what God is like in the heavenly sphere. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Friends, that's a picture of the kingdom of God in its fullness. It's a picture of the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. Men and women who love Jesus made completely whole, spiritually, emotionally, physically. No more death, no more disease, no more pain. Only a compassionate God has, who has removed all of those things once and for all. See, um, even in the Old Testament, in the earliest days of Scripture, uh, God is described as a healer. His name, one of his names in the Old Testament is Jehovah Rapha, Yahweh our healer, God our healer. You see, so even at the earliest days of Scripture, we see God identify his, himself as one who heals. Now, when you look at this vision of the fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of the heavenly realm, do you see any sickness? No. Do you see any disease? No. Do you see anybody who's oppressed or possessed by demons? No. Do you see any death? No, because there is none of that in the kingdom of heaven in all of its fullness. There is none of that there at all. And it's because God's perfect will is accomplished and his will involves that his creatures would be made whole, that they would be completely restored. Now, every weekend, and some of you probably prayed this on a daily basis, we say a prayer in which we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on Earth, as it is in heaven, right? Jesus taught us that prayer. And when we are praying that prayer, what we are praying for is for heaven to invade earth. We are asking to see heaven's reality manifest on earth. Mom, I'm preaching. I'll call you back. I thought I'd save you. Uh, um, 
Moving on. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this prayer, which we call the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, right? He taught them to pray it when they asked him to teach them how to pray. He said, pray that earth would come to heaven. And then what did he do? He went out and he demonstrated what it looked like to call earth down to heaven. And one of the primary ways he demonstrated that was through healing the sick. Because when the sick are healed, you get a picture of what it's like in heaven. When a demon is cast out, you get a picture of it's like when someone is freed from oppression, what that's like in heaven. Okay, so he goes around demonstrating that power. Do you know, this is a very interesting fact, of 1,257 uh, narrative verses in the gospel, these are verses that are telling stories, of 1,257, 484 of those verses, that's 38.5%, are devoted to describing Jesus' healing miracles. Almost 40% of the narratives in the gospels are about Jesus healing people. It's a pretty significant part of his ministry. And what he was doing was showing that the kingdom of God, where people are made whole, had arrived, not yet in all of its fullness, but it had arrived and begun to penetrate, begun to invade the earth in him, in his ministry. That's why he goes around and says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So he's demonstrating what it looks like to live a kingdom-oriented life, to walk and live and move in the power of the kingdom by healing the sick, Opening blind eyes, the lame will walk, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead. He's demonstrating the power of heaven on earth. Now, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven, and the other gospel writers call it the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. So what is it? This is just my definition. There's probably better ones out there. The kingdom of God is God's reign over his creatures and creation. It is his presence at work in the world to bring people into submission to his loving royal rule. That's the kingdom. And Jesus was engaging in a battle against another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, what happened when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They opened the gates, they opened the doorway to the kingdom of darkness to came in and give it, give it power. And so Satan gained power over the creation, over the world and over humanity. And so Jesus is showing that now the kingdom of heaven has invaded, right, to, t- to take something back that had been lost. Um, Paul says in, fir- in uh, Colossians chapter 1 about people who have uh, surrendered their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. He says, for God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin? It's that easy to come in the kingdom, to call upon Jesus, to forgive your sins, and to proclaim his Lord as your life and believe that God raised him from the dead. You go from the kingdom of darkness and blindness into the kingdom of light and salvation and eternal life and eternal relationship with Jesus in the here and now. So there's two kingdoms. And every time Jesus heals someone who's sick or he casts out an evil spirit, he demonstrates that the kingdom of God has arrived to take back what belongs to him and to restore his good creation. C.S. Lewis said this, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Don't you love that? The king, the right king has landed and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. That is a campaign of sabotaging the kingdom of darkness by joining Jesus and his ministry in the world. That's us calling us to sabotage the works of the enemy. And one of the ways that we do that is by healing the sick. Because we show that with the real power 
of the kingdom of God that trumps the power of the enemy that comes in the manifestations of sickness and disease. Now, Jesus gives his disciples a commission. He gives his followers a commission. Listen, listen, listen to what he says. It's so easy. I don't know how people pass over this part of the Gospels and, and live as if it doesn't exist. But Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the same works that I do. Then he says this. And in fact, he will do greater works than I do, for I am going back to the Father. He says, if in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. See, the Heavenly Father is glorified when we speak healing in the name of Jesus over someone. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Incredible commission. So Jesus is saying to us, as you go, this is what he said to his, his followers when he was on earth, as you go, proclaim the good news, right? The gospel. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now listen to what he says right after he says, go tell people the kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, Cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. Okay? You've received grace. Now go distribute it in the form of a ministry of power and signs and wonders. And the purpose of all this is not to go around and go, oh, I can heal people. I can raise the dead and cleanse lepers and heal the sick. The purpose, friends, is to bring people into the kingdom of God by demonstrating that God is active and alive in the world and that he is a God of love and compassion and he desires people to be whole. The purpose is to, this is about the mission of the church to spread the gospel throughout the world in places where there's great amounts of healing going on because there's great faith and uh, crusades around the world here and elsewhere. Many, many people are calling upon the name of Jesus because they see him healing people. It's amazing. Now. We go, we fast forward a little bit in the biblical timeline and we, we are in Acts chapter two and Jesus has told his disciples, he said, go and wait in Jerusalem and power is going to, from on high is going to come on you. And then he ascends and he goes back into heaven and there's 120 of them gathered. Jesus' mom, Mary is there. They're all praying together. It says they, they, they prayed with great fervency and the power of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon them on all 120 of them. And they began to speak in the tongues, the tongues of people that were around, the nations that were gathered in Jerusalem at that time. They had a supernatural gift to be able to speak the gospel in other people's languages to spread the gospel. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us power to spread the gospel. And then Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 43 says this, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And it continues all throughout the book of Acts. Now, some people would say, certain um, denominations, not to be named openly, but people of certain theological stripes in the Christian church would say that the healing ministry and the ministry of supernatural miracles ended at the first after the first generation of apostles in the first century, basically. God just was using it then to kind of get things started, but it doesn't really happen today. Okay, there's a lot of people that really believe that. I know, I know many of them, and they're good Christians. But listen to this. This is um, this is from Irenaeus. He was a second century bishop. So mid uh, mid second century, 150 to 175 is the, kind of the prime time of his ministry. So this is after the first generation of apostles by almost 100 years. Here's what he says in one of his documents. This is a historical document. For some do certainly and truly drive out demons so that those who have thus been cleansed from evil spirits frequently both believe and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them and they are made whole. 
Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. And what more shall I say? It is not possible to name the number of the gifts which the church throughout the world has received from God in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't think it ceased after the first generation of apostles. And then you go into the third and the fourth century and you read St. Augustine, who didn't believe in miracles either himself as a bishop. And then at the end of his great work that's called the City of God, he has a list of, he said, I've witnessed about over 70 different miracles now in my churches. It's incredible. People being healed of all kinds of things. And so it continued, and then what happened in church history is that there was a period where things kind of got a little bit quiet. And that wasn't because the gifts weren't operating, it was because the church changed its focus to other things and got a little bit involved with the empire and things like that. We all know about Constantine and the Middle Ages and things like that. But you see, the healing ministry is continuing throughout the world today. You just have to look for it. You just have to look for it. There's ample literature and media that shows it on display. Actually, if you pay attention to the e-news in the next few weeks that comes out on Monday morning, I'm going to be posting some links to videos of miraculous healings and testimonies of miraculous healings. It really will inspire your faith that God is at work in the world today. Now, I just want to talk about a couple things before we close, sort of practical things. Um, Let's talk about disappointment first, because who of us, it's the elephant in the room, who of us has not been prayed for or prayed for someone and not seen an instantaneous healing and felt disappointment? I'm in that category. I think probably all of us are or, or seen that happen and been disappointed on someone else's behalf. And that's normal. And it doesn't mean you're uh, an unholy person because you're disappointed. The quadriplegic woman that we heard from at the beginning of the uh, sermon said she had been prayed for hundreds of times, right? She just kept pressing in for her healing. Um, so, so the reality is, is that in the reality is, is that healing doesn't always come for everyone. And there's great, great mystery around it. There is great mystery around it. Um, John Wimber, who is, who, who started the Vineyard Christian Fellowship is a very, he, he's, he's passed away now, but in the seventies and eighties, he had a very powerful healing ministry, very anointed man. And he would have a conference. He would tell stories. He'd say, one night I was at a conference, a healing conference. I prayed for 200 people and they all got healed. And then he would say, the next night I went to a conference, I prayed for 200 people and none of them got healed. And then he said, you know what? The first night I didn't walk away thinking, oh, I'm pretty good at this healing thing. And the second night I didn't walk away saying, oh, what's wrong with me? He just said there's great mystery around it. Sometimes there's um, inner healing and emotional healing that needs to happen first that can be a kind of a blockage to God's grace and mercy that wants to come through. Sometimes there's unforgiveness and bitterness and sin that can be a kind of a blockage that needs to be dealt with before God's mercy can flow in and heal. There's, there's a lot of complicating factors. There is a lot of mystery. And so we have to admit that and be honest about that. But the important thing is, is to look at the testimonies and see that the reality is, is that Jesus still heals today. You have to stay focused on that and have hope. Now, let's talk about faith before we close. Um, faith is, uh, it's a, it's a difficult thing to understand. And we often think, and I'm guilty of this too, we often think of faith as faith in our faith. Just think about that for a second and you'll know what I'm talking about. We think of faith, especially if it comes for healing for something to happen or something supernatural to happen, we think of faith as faith in our faith. But you see, our faith needs to be in God. It needs to rest in God and in His faithfulness. Does that make sense? Um, so I used to stress myself out, uh, especially getting ready to pray for the sick. Uh, first of all, because I didn't have very high expectations before the Lord started to kind of show me that this stuff was really happening in the world today. Second of all, because I thought, you know, I need to work up my faith enough. I need to get worked up emotionally and maybe I need to pray for a few hours before this. And, you know, some times God does call you to do that. Um, 
But what I was doing was putting faith in myself for the healing to take place. That's what, that's what it was rather than, uh, leaving it in the hands of God because it's up to Him to heal. He's the healer, not us, right? He gives people gifts of healing. I think every Christian can pray for healing, but it's up to God, not up to us. The point is this. We should pray for a faith. We should pray and ask God to teach us what a faith looks like that just rests in Him, that actually trusts in His power. And I'll keep going back to this over and over and over, but you have to have a proper image of God. You have to have, John Wimber says this, he said, I didn't have a breakthrough in my healing until the Lord revealed to me. He said, you don't actually really believe that I have goodness and mercy and compassion towards my people and then I want to heal them. And he said, when I started believing that, the healing started to happen. It's a very important thing. It's very easy to have a distorted image of God as uh, tight-fisted and trying to hide, hide away from us or as a, a grumpy father or grandfather who doesn't really want to be close to us. And we've got to ask God to heal that image. And that's some, something that happens for some people is um, in inner healing, which is asking Jesus to go back and heal wounds from the past, is that their image of God gets healed. And they can see God as a loving father who wants to be close and to protect and to heal and things like that. So the point is we should pray for a faith that rests in God. We should trust in his goodness and his desire to heal people. We should have a general rule of thumb that he wants to heal. He wants to bring healing to people. And then we should pray for the sick. We should pray for the sick. Now, here's the thing, just coming to a close. There has to be a need. There's a need that we are hungry for Jesus. And we're hungry, become hungry for the spread of his kingdom. Because if you're hungry for God, he will feed you. I feel like I'm just starting to understand this in my own life. Really what it really means. Not just to like Christianity intellectually, um, but to really be hungry for God, for his presence. Um, so I want to encourage us as a church, and I see this happening increasingly already, but that we um, would be people who worship in spirit and in truth because we're hungry for God when we worship. Um, you know, if, if we're coming in and we're just kind of listlessly singing and lethargically reciting the prayers because that's what we do, if you were the Heavenly Father, would you really want to go and make yourself <laughs> known to those? Because like, they don't really want it. They don't really want me. But when God sees a people who are hungry in their worship to experience his presence, his anointing on their, on their services, he shows up and he feeds us. He feeds us. So, let me close with prayer. Father, we need our image of you healed. We need to know, Lord, in the depths of our being that you're so full of compassion and mercy towards your people. So, so much compassion and mercy that you didn't withhold your own son, but gave him up so that we might be cleansed of our sins. As your servant Paul says, he who gave up his own son on our behalf, would he withhold anything from us? So we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to understand what it means to believe, to put our faith in you, to trust in your goodness, to rest in your promises, to be hungry for your word, to learn it, to learn your promises and to speak them over ourselves and over our loved ones and to meet you in worship with hearts that are open and uh, hungry and thirsty just for you and just for your presence. Lord, we thank you now that we have the opportunity to enter into worship in, in safety and freedom and lift our voices and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.